All right, Leviticus chapter 7. Leviticus 7 is uh, continuing on with the law of trespass offering and the law of peace offerings and uh, giving more details into the things we've already read. Um, the word Leviticus means uh, concerning the Levites. This is really truly written to the Levitical tribe who would be the priesthood. And um, so um, as, as, as far back as this is and, and, and distant generations, distant from us, it still applies to us in a lot of ways, not the law, don't misunderstand me, but that we're priests and kings in God's uh, kingdom. Uh, God's called us that in Revelation 1. We're kings and priests. And so I, I think what we want to take away from this is how specific God is, first of all, that he has to write chapter after chapter on how these things must be done. Secondly, every one of these offerings and gifts and things that they had to do was designed to bring people into fellowship with God. That hasn't changed either. Um, and second of all, or third of all, third is thirdly, is you need to do it like God says. We don't get to ad lib and make stuff up as we go along. There's a, a tendency to do that. Um, and God checks us in that. In his, one of his prophets, he says, you thought I was altogether like you. And, and we're not. You know, there's a lot to learn about God. There's a lot to figure out why he does the things he does. And, and until I know why, it doesn't make any difference. I still need to do what he tells me to do. The why might come later, you know. Why am I supposed to, you know, submit to my parents? You just are, you know. I don't understand why I'm supposed to do that. Just do it for now. You'll understand later on, you know. Um, why do I have to obey the Lord? You, you just do. And, um, and you'll understand the beauty and the blessing that's associated with that um, as you as you do it, it's in the doing that you find out actually the truth about it, and uh, gets into your heart. And so, sometimes obedience is first. Obedience is doing what God wants you to do when you might disagree. That's all obedience is. Um, you don't have obedience when you agree. <laughs> it's only when you disagree. And so. Um, when we go through these, it's important to notice. And in chapter seven, that's what this is: more details. The first one was the uh, the first one was the law of trespass offering, what they're supposed to do, and um, it's to make atonement, uh, and the priests get to partake in that part. It's, uh, in other words, the sacrifice was meant for God, but they got this is part of their provision. Also, this is how they got to eat and how they provide because this is what they did. All they they, they weren't agricultural. They they weren't raising cattle. They were busy doing stuff all day long, and so people would bring their offerings, they would offer up their offerings, uh, going on behalf of the people to God, and then come back and tell people, you're good to go, and that's what they would do, but they get to keep a portion of that. The second one is the law of peace offering. It's a little different. You could, uh, different purposes for it, but still the same idea. Um, You go in before the Lord on behalf of the people, and you come out, and you tell them, hey, it's, it's good, I've done what I'm supposed to do, and, and you're okay. And this is all foreshadowing what Christ has done for us. He, he goes in on our behalf to the Lord. Um, he is the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. He comes out and lets us know you have favor with God. You have unmerited favor with God. You have grace and mercy from him. Um, the peace offering, I guess one couple notable verses of verse 17 would be that on the third day, you, you're done eating of it. You can have two days of it, but no more leftovers after three days. Throw it out, burn it. And if I catch you doing that, you're in trouble, he says. And then the second one is uh, in verse 22 through 27, he talks about not eating the fat and the blood, which is kind of strange. 
but I want to focus on this because um, one of the major cults in Maryville, the Jehovah's Witness down the street here, um, this is where they get their doctrine of no blood transfusions. And I, and I want you to read this so you understand how you're just being picky on those guys down the street. They love Jesus just like we do. And no, they don't. Um, it's a completely different Jesus. It's not even the same person. Uh, they believe Jesus is the half-brother of Lucifer, and they had two different plans of salvation, and God chose Jesus, and so Lucifer got mad, and it's just a whole different gospel, a whole different spirit, a whole different Jesus, just the same name, which Paul warns about. But this is where they get their no blood transfusions from. And I want you to read this to see, now wait a minute, that doesn't compute, it shouldn't. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, you shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat and the fat of an animal that dies naturally and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat or of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether a bird or beast, whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Therefore, no blood transfusions. I mean, it doesn't even make sense, but many, many, many Jehovah's Witnesses have died because the elders come in right prior to the blood transfusion being given and say, you cannot or you'll be cut off from God. That's a cult, okay? So um, be careful, and uh, not that you were ever thinking about it, but when they come knocking on your door, they ain't brothers and sisters in the Lord, okay? You don't have to be peaceful with them. You can let them know, look, you're in a cult. You need to get out of it. It's, it's okay to be like that. People need to hear the truth. Um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out to you because that's what they get out of those verses that you're not supposed to have blood transfusions because you're not supposed to eat the blood of animals. It makes no sense. Um, anyway, we go on. Uh, 28 through the rest of it is really about... Um, the provision and how much of it was for the priests. And of course, uh, this is how they got their living. This is how they made their living. There was no other way for them to do that. They needed to be occupied with God's business. And so God provided a way for them. And of course, Paul reiterates this in 1 Corinthians 9. That, uh, it, so this carries on through that the, it's okay to earn a living from the ministry. It's not sin. It's not illegal. Now, um, you know, you can take too much or you can take whatever. That's, that's you know, that's a, that's a matter of opinion, I guess, but um, Paul never did because he didn't want anybody accusing him um, of, uh, of uh, you know, using it to gain or whatever, um, but uh, it's clear that God says, no, this is how you make your provision. Now, interestingly enough, and, and I don't know what to make of this, and I, I don't know if I'd make a doctrine out of this or not, but it seems like since the sacrifices were the way by which, by which the priests would get uh, their provision, the more they sinned, the more provision there'd be. It's weird how that works. Except, um, you know, you don't want to, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And I don't know if I'd, maybe, that might be a stretch there, but the idea was there was always a sacrifice, there was always a way to take care of their sin. Um, The more there was sin, the more sacrifices there were, and the more the priests were utilized. I bring that up because you, you cannot exhaust the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Um, it isn't that Jesus is excited about his blood being shed for our sins, but he is willing for his blood to be shed for our sins. And, and this section here reminds us that it doesn't matter how far away from God you've gotten or how many evil things you've done or how much sin there is in your life, 
the, the, the sacrifice is sufficient and can easily cover. It easily covers all of your sins. And, and so the more sin, the, the more blood, but the more forgiveness. It, it works. And so we see that here in chapter 7. Now, chapter 8, um, we'll f- spend a lot of time on 9 and 10, but 8, um, we see where they're actually doing it. Now, they're going to take the sons, Aaron and his sons. Those are the, that's the Levitical priesthood here. Um, they're going to take these guys and, and actually do what they're supposed to do by anointing them and consecrating them for the work of the ministry. Now, there is no high priest to do this to them. Aaron's going to be the high priest. So until that happens, Moses steps in, and he's the high priest. He's the initiator. He stands in and is able to do this for them. And so you'll see that here. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, and the bull as a sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. I want the whole gang here. That's a lot of people, you know. Um, but I want them to be witnesses of what's about to take place, Moses. I want the, the people around to see these Levites be transformed from what they normally wear, because that's all they're going to see, not the heart. But they are going to see it outwardly. They're just wearing normal garb like everybody else, robes or whatever they is, whatever they had on, garb, you know, normal, not peasant wear, but that's kind of what it looks like, street clothes, maybe that's a better way to put it. And they're going to be transformed into these guys that are wearing all white with these breastplates on and these turbans on their heads and all these amazing things. And the people are going to watch all this unfold. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done, and he begins to do this. Everything that God said as an example um, for them to see, so important for us to figure that out as we are, again, kings and priests in God's kingdom. It's important that the world see that transformation in our lives, that they see that this is what happens when God sanctifies you, when he sets you apart, when you're consecrated unto the Lord, this is what it looks like. You get changed from street clothes, the flesh, into spiritual clothes, the spirit. They get to see this transformation. That's Aaron, that sheep herder, that goat herder that came into Egypt with Moses and was his mouth, you know? This transformation takes place and like, wow, I never I never thought. And there was just, a, well, for, for them, a whole lot more respect for this amazing work that God has done by putting this white garb on them and the turban and all this. Like, wow, this is, this is Aaron. Aaron's the high priest. I didn't realize. He's like the leader. He's the head. You know, and Moses is doing all this for him and to him. And so they get to witness all these things. And they put the sash on and the robe and the ephod and the urim and the thummim and the breastplate and the turban on his head. And they watch this. And then... At verse 10, they anoint him with oil, not like we do today, with a little dabble do you on the forehead, you know, and we pray for it. They would take the bucket of oil or the pitcher of oil, and they poured it on his head, and it would drip down all over his clothes and his beard. It was really just coming down off of him. And, of course, that represented the Holy Spirit. That represents God's anointing on it. They would do it to the instruments. They would do it to the altar. They would do it to everything, and including the high priest. It was all sanctified, set apart, consecrated to God. You know, That was the final thing that they would do. Um, if you read, I think it's in yeah, Psalm 133, verse 2, it describes that oil coming down the beard. Not as a, a strange thing. I think we'd all feel a little awkward having that because it's just something we don't do. But really, that's, it's kind of like taking a shower maybe an hour 
in, in our day and age, but obviously more special than that. But that's the best we can get to it. That you know, they don't have running water. They don't have hot water. They didn't take showers unless they were near a river, and they kind of just let the water push it past them or whatever. This anointing oil would cleanse. You know, um, our natural oils, even by God's design, comes out, pushes out, pushes the dirt away from our skin. You know, and eventually it gets it gets taken away, and so that's um, sim- symbolic here. So. The anointing oil is on them all. And, and the people got to witness this. Um, and then he brought the bull after all this is done, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. I'm in verse 14. And Moses killed it, and he took the blood, and he poured some of it on the horns of the altar and, uh, and, and around his finger and uh, purified it. Um, later on here, as he takes some of this blood in verse 23, he puts some on the right ear of the high priest, some on the right hand of the high priest, some on the right foot. Um, symbolizing, I want you to be consecrated to hear the words of the Lord, to hear his, his voice and to hear his call. The right hand would be, I want you to be serving God. I want you consecrated to serve the Lord. It's all for you. And your foot, of course, I want you to be walking in paths of righteousness. I want you to be walking with the Lord in his paths, not your own, but his. And we're all called to that. That's all been reiterated in the, in the New Testament. We're all called to have our right ears, our right hands, and our right feet with a consecrated set-apart for God. We're called to be those priests in this world. The difference being here between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this is in a location. And they would all come to this location. They would watch these guys work in this location. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus has almost turned it inside out and reversed it to where now we go to them and they witness these things and we walk in righteousness out there, that we go out and serve out there, that we hear the voice of the Lord out there amongst They don't come to us, we go to them now. Of course, we see that with the disciples and the apostles as they were sent out to go do those things and to minister to people, healing, um, but more importantly, spiritually healing people. Now, chapter 9, we'll dig in. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel and said to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord and to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf, and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering, also a bull, and a ram as a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. Big day here. They've consecrated the high priests and the priests' uh, sons to do this work. This is their first chance to do it. This has all been prep. Everything we've been reading is getting up to this day right here where they would actually, okay, Moses is saying, okay, like a coach who's gone through all the practices with the guys, all he can do is stand on the sidelines and say, it's up to them now, kind of thing. And he's giving them instructions, kind of saying, I want you to do this now. It's time for you guys to do this. Aaron, you're the high priest. I'm not in there anymore. You take this stuff and you do it. On behalf of the people, you guys come before the Lord. And then when you hear from the Lord, you go to the people. This is it, the first day of actual worship and ministry, okay? So they do. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. They're excited to see too, spectator, and they're going to get some fireworks here in a minute. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. I want you to do this. This is their first thing. Go to God 
on behalf of the people. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Got to take care of your own sin first before you can minister to other people. Very important. You got to get right with God first, then you can go minister to other people. Then the sons of Aaron uh, brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys, the fatty lobe and the liver uh, of the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. Remember, we read all that last week. Outside the camp, too much carcass to burn. Okay, Also symbolic of Jesus being taken outside the camp. Verse 12, And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering uh, on the altar. Now you got to know, you know, I don't want to read between the lines too much, but you got to know this was messy the first day. I don't know if you've ever had to, and I don't want to gross anybody out, especially vegetarians or anything like that. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but this is what we're talking about today, so that's kind of where we're at. But the first time I got a deer that my son killed, it is not a pretty sight. All the things you're not supposed to do and be careful of, I did. <laughs> I did. Getting the esophagus, that was bad. I don't know if you, some of you know what I'm talking about. Your elbow's deep at that point, and you're way up there because I didn't split the rib cage. Am I grossing anybody out yet? I'm going to keep going. And I reached up there and I took my knife up there, and you're going and you find that big, it feels like a garden hose. You just. And you're supposed to just and, just, and it doesn't just like you're supposed to. And, and then you got to be careful down here, and I wasn't careful down there, and I, it was a mess. you got to see this for these guys' sakes. These guys are like, okay, so much for white. You know what I mean? So much for white linen cloth. There's a lot of work, and it was messy. And they're doing it, and the, and the sons are going, here's that fatty lobe thing. Um, here's the kidneys. I mean, you just, it's so real. And you're going to see that at the end of chapter 10. It's so real. So they do it. They're doing it. Now, Moses is gracious enough not to write any of that down. I, I get to fill in the gaps for you. God probably didn't want me to, but I like to fill in that. Because you know, it just isn't, there's no practice for this. This is just something you've got to do and hope you do it right. Then he brought the people, the people's offering. He took the people's offering, so important. And took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin, like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering, which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar, and the fat from the bull and the ram and the fatty tail, what covered the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. And they put the fat on the, on the breast. Uh, then he burned the fat on the altar and the breast and the right thigh. Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord as Moses had commanded. So they'd wave it. This is back and forth. There's heave offering where they do this, but this is this offering now. It's called the wave offering. Um, it's symbolic. Now here's the second thing they do. So they've done everything for the people. That's what verses 8 through 21 were. Now 22 is, what do you do? And Aaron lifted his hands, or lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offerings, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. 
Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I don't know. That's what I get. I get this thing going on. I mean, it was cool enough when he showed up and checked out the tabernacle when they first set it up. Remember, his kind of glory came on the tent. And he looked everything over and they were just, I can't even see it so bright. You know, this is a whole nother deal. Aaron's got to be, you know, I don't know what that looked like or what that smelled like, but it was big. Big enough for a million people to drop on their faces. It was powerful. And it is. It's powerful when you meet the true and living God. It's powerful when you worship him in spirit and truth now. It's powerful in your lives. It's not humdrum. It's not, I'm going to church today, you know, kind of thing. It's not like that. It's powerful when you meet him. I'm not saying I have those moments every Sunday, you know, or I'm in the back weeping and crying and crying out to God saying, you're worthy. I probably should, but I don't. But I tell you, once in a while, the Holy Spirit just comes upon you and you're just like, oh, man. It's heavy, you know, whoa, too much, I'm done, that's enough, I'm overflowing, I'm leaking out my eyes, you know, I'm done with this, stop, you're too good. It's a good thing, but it's a, it's a, it's my, I don't have the capacity for everything that he is. That's how it feels. And it feels like he's trying to fill me completely with him, and it's like I can't take any more, you know, I'm, I'm going to explode here. That's a good thing, you know. It's one of those moments right here. This is one of those moments. It's unique. It's amazing. It's special. But this is going to happen day in and day out. Day in and day out, they're going to have this time. And I, I don't know if they become desensitized to it or what happens along the way. But unfortunately, later on, it's going to be like, yeah, here we go. you know. And they're going to get good at it. It's not going to be as messy as it was the first time. It's going to be kind of slick. They get their system down. They get the rhythm, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with getting good at what you're supposed to do. They're going to have a lot of sacrifices they're going to have to do. Every, and you want to have all ten fingers at the end of the day. I mean, it's, they want to make sure they're good at it. But somewhere along the line, they lose track of it because they could justify their sin beforehand by remembering they can always offer up a sacrifice later. No big deal. I got an extra goat out there. Looks like I'm going to have a good Friday tonight. You know, That's how they looked at it. it. It changed from, I can't believe the true and living God would even accept my sacrifice. I can't believe that he even wants to fellowship with me to, oh, yeah, you know, we do this all the time. We sin, and then we just ask for forgiveness, and it's all good. It's no big deal. Somewhere along the line, it gets that way with people, with us, with me. Not just people, not them, me. Um, and we need those times of refreshing. We need those times of him showing up in power. I think it's, he's gracious that he doesn't do that to me every Sunday morning. You guys would never hear a word of God come out of my mouth. I'd be up here blubbering like an idiot all the whole time. Well, he's having a great time, you know. And so God's gracious not to do that for me, to me, all the time. But I need it. And I know when I haven't had it in a while, and I know when I need to get alone with God, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. That's what that means. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And to get into his presence and get refreshed is it's well worth the time. It's well worth everything. Um, and it reminds you of the sacrifice. It reminds you of his majesty, I guess. His kingliness, his godness, his you know, deity. It reminds you of that. 
If you haven't had that ever, you're missing out. Um, And I'm not saying it's your fault. Um, Maybe you weren't ever taught. If you've been coming here for any amount of time, hopefully we've been teaching this. But if you've come from another fellowship, another church, and you've just never even thought, what do you mean? What are you talking about? This. It's real. It's very present. It's for today. It wasn't something that just happened then. It carried on in the New Testament when the fire of God descended upon all of the 120 in the upper room, filled them to overflowing, to capacity, till they were busting out at the seams. They came out of the upper room, speaking in other languages, and the whole world heard the gospel and were like, what is this? It was amazing. The whole place sounded like a rushing mighty wind. That's what this is here. And it's no different in the New Testament. It's still the same. We need that. And I, so I'm going to tell you, here's what you do. If you don't know what, what, do, what do I do? I want that. You've got to make time for God. I have to make time for God. I've got to put down the phone. I've got to get away from the computer, the television. I've got to get away from the car maintenance. I've got to get away from the stuff we got to do every day, but I got to get away from that for a while. I've got to see him. I don't want to see it. I find myself walking sometimes. I like to take walks now. I'm trying to take myself for a walk once in a while. And uh, I find myself looking down a lot, and I forget. You know what? You look down all the time. Look up a little bit. Let your eyes go a little bit further than the ground or the dirt or the desk in front of you or the book in front of you even. Look up. Look at the trees that are five miles away. Look at the sky. You've got to look up a little bit. You know, Take that time. Make that time to where you can see past the next wall. Get outside or whatever you have to do and give it to him. It's a sacrifice of your time, of your attention to the Lord. Give it to him and see what he does with that time and attention that you give to him. Not five minutes, not 10 minutes, not 30 minutes. Give him a couple hours, you know, and get alone with the Lord. Even if it's once a month, take two or three hours and just solid, not sporadic, a solid two or three hours and get alone with God. Give him your time. Give him your attention for a couple hours and see what he'll do with that. And you'll find out you'll want more and more of it if you've never had it before. Chapter 10. Now, that went well. Chapter 9 went well. Chapter 10 doesn't go well. Then Nadab and Abihu, first and only times you're really going to hear their names. The sons of Aaron. This is tough. Each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. That's pretty quick. They got excited. I don't know what profane fire means. All I know is the rest of chapter 10 describes what they did wrong, because the whole conversation is to Moses and to Levi, or to Aaron, about what they should do next time. It's all about that. So everything that's here in chapter 10 describes what these two boys did wrong. First of all, it says that each took censer and put fire in it, um, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. You're doing something that I didn't command you to do. The fire I brought was enough. The fire that is happening is enough. We don't need your fire. I didn't ask you to bring your fire. I want to use my fire. My fire dropped everybody to their face. Your fire just distracts from that. 
I want my fire to be the focus. There's a, there's a blessing attached to my fire. To your fire, it's, it's in the way. So the fire that they brought to the Lord gets consumed by the fire from God. It tells me there's a competition going on there, and he won. A lot like the snakes with Moses and Aaron and the two uh, magicians that tried to throw their sticks down and make snakes too, and then Aaron's snakes ate them up. But we're not in competition here. There is no competition. Great, you can do the same thing. That's great, but mine eats yours. Let's focus on mine now. And God gets the attention back. And now Aaron's got to be standing there just dumbfounded as he sees his boys just almost disintegrate in front of him. And this is what Moses says. Gosh, I'm really sorry about your sons. I don't know what we did wrong. How can I console you? How can I put my arm around you? How can I help you through this difficult time? No, Aaron, or Moses says this to Aaron. This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. In other words, your sons didn't. Your sons didn't regard him as holy. They didn't glorify God. They were glorifying themselves. They wanted to get in on the action. They took a little bit of the spotlight away from the Lord. And it's not that God is egotistical. He doesn't care about that. He's a humble servant. Jesus showed us that. But it's for our benefit and for the people's benefit for their eyes to be fixed on the proper person. And that's God. Not upon the priests trying to offer up profane fire and try to be equal to God. No, 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 no. Just me. You've never been there to get in between me and the people or to take glory away from me, but to show people me. So Aaron held his peace. Aaron's relationship with God is stronger than his relationship with his boys. It's important. His kids are important to him, but not everything to him. God is everything to him. The kids are secondary. Pleasing God was more important. Not that he wished this upon them, but he understood them to be disobedient and not doing what they're supposed to do. And he accepted it. So Aaron held his peace. Now, I wish he held his peace later on as he comes up against Moses later on. But he doesn't. He and Miriam come up to him and say, can't we all do what you do? He says, no. And Miriam gets leprosy and Aaron shuts his mouth. Aaron doesn't learn his lesson here and that tells me something about Aaron and his boys. I wonder where his boys got it from. Because what Aaron hasn't shown yet, he'll show later on as we go through the Pentateuch here, these first five books of the Bible. Aaron will show his heart, and that is in there. It hasn't come out yet, but it does come out, and his boys must have, I don't know, picked up on it somehow, some way. Anyway, he goes on in verse 4, continues, Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the son of um, Uziel, the, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. Get these guys outside the camp. It's sin. You've got to get rid of that sin. It's got to go outside the camp. I know it's attached to your sons. I know that they're important to you. I know that there needs to be a proper burial. I know all the sadness that you're going through, but it's sin. And it needs to be outside the camp. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, the sons, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, 
the whole house of Israel bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. I don't want you to mourn these two boys dead. They can. The congregation can. They can wonder why and how come and all that. But you guys are the high priest. You're supposed to know better. You're anointed. You've got oil dripping from you. You represent God. There can't be any sorrow for justice. There has to be understanding and there has to be acceptance of God's justice here. I don't want you to say in front of the people, this is unfair. That's what that mourning is all about. Oh, why my boys? How come my boys? They were so young. Well, your boys were naughty. Plain and simple. They're rebellious. And so I don't want you guys mourning that. You're on God's side or you're on the boy's side. You've got to be on God's side here. And they did it. And they did according to the word of Moses. That was a tough day. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. He's not just throwing that in there. There's a reason he's bringing this up with these boys. There's a reason they call it intoxicating. It's toxic, spiritually speaking. It intoxicates you. It makes you toxic. I don't know how to make it any stronger than that. Alcohol doesn't help you. It isn't beneficial. It's not going to help your walk with the Lord. Breaking down those inhibitions does this. You're not going to be able to discern, he says, between holy and unholy. You're not going to be able to discern anymore between unclean and clean. If it feels good, do it. It breaks down that barrier, that protective nature that you have, that built-in barometer from God that says, I shouldn't be doing this. It gets broken down, becomes dull. You can't hear it anymore, and you begin to do things you shouldn't do. I bring this up because Paul reiterates this in 1 Timothy 3.3. This has never gone away. It's not good for you. It's bad. It causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. It, it has power over you. We hold true to that here. Or we do our best anyway, as much as people are honest with us at Calvary Chapel. Nobody in leadership drinks. I don't think it's needed. It's not necessary. You can call us legalistic if you want. That's fine. Um, there's a lot of churches that aren't legalistic then that you can go to. Feel free. Um, we just ask if you're in leadership here, you don't drink. If you're a teacher here, you don't drink. If you're on the worship team, you don't drink. We don't want that. Because it does these very things that he says. This is God speaking. This isn't any man's opinion. I don't want you drunk when you're trying to minister to me or being a minister of mine. I don't want you intoxicated. I don't want you toxic to the people around you. I don't want you to not be able to discern between holy and holy or between the unclean and the clean. I want you to be able to give good, sound, spiritual doctrine, sound advice to people when they come and ask you, no matter what time of day it may be. I don't want you doing that. Um, 
course, we always get the questions. The question is, well, well how much? Because it says in 1 Timothy 3, 3 that they're not to be given to one. What's given mean? Does that mean they're not supposed to be drunk, so don't pick up? I guess my question is, why are you asking the question? If God said, I want you to wear blue shirts when you worship God, not red shirts, I always wonder why people say, can I wear pink? Why not just stick with blue? It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not in bondage to it. I don't care anything about it. I could take it or leave it. Then why are we having this conversation about it? Apparently, it's super important to you. It's one of the most important things on your mind right now. It's very clear you want to know the details and the loopholes. Look, it's unnecessary. It does change your behavior. It knocks things out of whack. You don't see things the way you're supposed to. Guard yourself against that desire. Why is that desire so strong for me to be pulled towards something like that? It doesn't matter what that is. Let's take alcohol out of the picture. Anything that causes me to want to step in that direction and has a hold of me and wants me and pulls me and I fight it, what is that? Is that God leading me in that direction or something entirely different pulling me in that direction? What is that? And do I want it to have that kind of control or power over me? Just saying. Verse 12. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar and the sons who were left to take the grain offering that remains of the offering made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord, for so I have uh, been commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the uh, thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you, for they are your due and your son's due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering, remember that's the up and down one, and the breast of the wave offering, that's the side to side one, they shall bring with the offering of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever, as the Lord commanded. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. And there it was, burnt up, or burned up. And he was angry with Eliezer and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, since it is most holy? And God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord. See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place. As I commanded, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? I think they have a good answer here. It says they have a good answer. Even Moses accepts this answer. And Moses, or Aaron said to Moses, Look, this day... They have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard that, he was content. I'm a little confused right now. Things have gone south. Two of my kids are dead. Fire came out and consumed them, and we did. We thought everything we were supposed to do, but they weren't right with God. If I, can you promise me if I ate that, nothing bad was going to happen? Moses is like, you know, I don't know either. I mean, really, honestly, he's content with that. I don't know that Moses wasn't right. I think he was. I think they should have eaten the sin offering. 
I think he's right when he says that. I think what he's content with is the heart of Aaron. Aaron was, I don't know if I'm right before God. I felt it better not to do this and, and, and make sure that I'm right before God before I did that. I think he honored that is what I see here. I think he was content with his excuse, with his answer. I, I, I would love to have eaten that sacrifice. I know what's right before God, but I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm right before God after everything that's happened today is the idea. And Moses says, okay. In other words, that's a good thing. To Aaron, it was very, very important that he do what's right in the sight of God as opposed to step out in presumption or step out unaware of a sin maybe or something. Now, how do we reconcile that with New Testament, with our new walk with the Lord? Since we don't have these sacrifices, listen. His word says, and this is what we go by, and this is all we have, his word says that my grace is sufficient for you, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross covered all of your sins, not some of your sins. Anybody that tells you he didn't pay for all of your sins isn't believing God's word. So don't let him teach you that. Your sins are covered, past, present, and future, by what Christ has done on the cross for you. Now, knowing that in your heart, believing that, go serve him. Go serve him. Some people don't think they can go out and serve him. I don't think I'm right with God. I don't think I've, I've, I've changed enough. I think that's acceptable. I think God would be content with that because your heart is, I'm not sure, even though it's unbelief, I'm not sure that I'm the one to do this. I'm not sure I'm the one that should be doing this right now. I'm not sure that I'm far enough along. I think, I, I just don't feel stable, you know. Okay, that's just fine. But get stable. Be assured of that forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ. Get to that place where your faith is increased. Faith is increased by the hearing of God's word. It's not going to get any better than God's word. You're never going to get more assured of your salvation than through God's word. That's it. That's all we have for the assurance of our salvation is God's word. And the difference between being unstable and stable is believing it. Believe it, believe it, believe it. Believe God's word. You become stable. I understand that. Yep, yesterday was bad. And I know it. I acknowledge my sin before my God, but I also acknowledge the sacrifice before my God also, that Christ died on the cross for that sin as well. And I'm going to press on towards that goal, towards that mark, towards that finish line. It's a long road, but I'm not going to stop moving towards it because I believe God at his word. I believe that his sacrifice is enough for my sins. If you've never done that this morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation, if you've never believed like that, today's the day. Believe his word. Believe him. Trust him. Don't have to be doubting. You don't have to wonder whether you're good enough. Christ has made you good enough. You'll never be good enough. We'll never be good enough. But Christ has made you good enough. You need to believe that. Trust in him. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, like this fire coming out to consume, like the fire that... Uh, rested upon the, the apostles and the 120 in the upper room. You need that also. You do. Those times are refreshing. That amazing empowerment from God, that oil dripping down your face symbolically through the Holy Spirit, giving you power, changing you, sanctifying, sanctifying you, consecrating you for the service of God, equipping you for it. You need that. Let's pray and ask God for all those things. Lord, uh, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We believe you. We may feel like Aaron does here at times. 
I don't know where I stand with you today. I'm afraid, I'm afraid you just might come out and consume me. But your word tells me, no matter what I feel or what I think, your word says that you've died on the cross for my sins, all of them. And as far as the east is from the west, you've separated my sins from me. And that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what your word says to me. I believe that. In obedience, maybe, I believe that. And I'm going to walk that way, God, in obedience to you. I want to do what you've asked me to do. I want to be about your business. I want to be humble and broken before you and serving that way. And maybe this is a good place to start and to stay. But I want to serve you today. I don't want to neglect the ministry that you lay out from before me because I'm not sure where I stand. I stand in you, Jesus. And I serve in you, and that will never, ever change. And so as unworthy as we are to be a part of your ministry in any way, shape, or form, you've made us worthy, and we believe that. Thank you, God, for that. It's an honor and a privilege to be a part of your ministry. Now, Lord, fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. As we have offered up your Son as a sacrifice to our sins, and that was done 2,000 years ago once for all, but we're reminded of that today, God. We want that oil just dripping off of our faces off of our beards, off of our clothes, God, filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, overflowing, consumed, um, empowered by you, Lord, not in our own strength, but in your strength, not by our ideas, but your callings. Help us to do those things, Lord. God, today there's going to be ministry for us. There always is, whether that's to our immediate family or to outside of our family, God. There's always ministry opportunities. Help us to see them and walk in your power and in your forgiveness and to stand in you, Christ, and to do what you've asked us to do. That we would go to you on behalf of the people that we meet and that we could come out and tell them in a way, much like your son Jesus did, and let them know what your word says about their forgiveness in you. That they can trust in you, that they can have this relationship with you, that they don't need us at all, but they can go directly to you like we do and worship you in spirit and truth. This world desperately needs Christians who truly believe you at your word, who are resting in your forgiveness and in your sacrifice on the cross, trusting in your salvation, but also empowered by your Holy Spirit because we need to be those priests out there telling this world that you're forgiven. God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Trust in him for your salvation. We need to be able to raise our hands and let them know that they might join us and spread the word, Lord, that good news. Thank you for your good news. In Jesus' name we pray.